Now, her previous books include The Critically Claimed This Is Not About Me, uh, The Trick Is To Keep Breathing, Foreign Parts, and Clara. She has also written two collections of short stories and is working on a third tonight. She reads for the first time in England from her new anti-memoir, All Made Up. Her writing is incredibly close to my home and to my heart. Please welcome Janice Galloway. probably the shortest person in this room <laughs> and I would be wearing flat oh you are, a competitive shortness okay there we go, and I also, I'm also half blind so this is going to be interesting okay, I can sort of see now if you can sort of hear me and I can sort of see we're on a level playing field to use a cricket metaphor I don't know why I'm using a cricket metaphor anyway this, uh, this book is called All, All Made Up, as, as, as Damien says, and um, it was quite hard choosing what to read from it. N- novels are always a bit of a bugger choosing what to read, because you usually have to go into one of these Tolstoy and explications of who's married to who, and who, who their father was, and who their lover was, and what their dog's name is, and that can go on for a long time. Instead of doing that, I'll, I'll, I'll try and be more thematic in my approach, because that was how this book is written. The first one was called This Is Not About Me, because I don't really think it is. Well, it's called that for a number of reasons, but that's uh, one thing. And this is called All Made Up in the same vein. Um, I don't actually believe there's any such thing as something that's all made up. There's no such thing as pure fiction. So, of course, there is no such thing as pure autobiography. Uh, These are just terms. These are just names, and we play with them. They're marketing terms more than they are anything else. Um, This is about ideas, I think, uh, it's not about me, it's through me. But the stuff in it, I hope, is things that have happened to everyone. So do not be put off by my accent or hair. <laughs> I, I am you in another life. Um, this, is, uh, this is the beginning of chapter three. The, the first one, uh, I was at page 200 before I hit the age of five. So it, uh, it finished quite sensibly at the age of 11. That was as far as I could take things. This one goes from 12 to roughly 18, and then there's a sudden burst of speed in the last chapter because I, I actually find my adult years much less interesting. Um, I think most people's adult years are much less interesting. I like wains. I like children. I like teenagers. And I think it's partly because those are the observing years of your life. You have the time to look, and you have the absolute necessity of survival to actually think, what the hell just happened here? To try and dissect what the people around you are doing. And the beginning of school, certainly when I began primary, was very traumatic for me. The beginning of secondary wasn't quite so traumatic, despite the fact that two days before my grandmother had died in a house fire. Um, my mother had already bought my entire uniform, except, as fate would have it, for the shoes. So I made my first walk to secondary school in my dead grandmother's shoes, reeking of fire and brimstone the entire way. I spent my first day at school with teachers going, can you smell burning? And on the first day at school, there were things, and the teachers saw to the things that they were good and to be used sensibly. We were all big boys and girls now. They were sure we'd managed to be sensible just fine. 
The piece of squared paper was for drawing a rectangle, eight by five boxes, using a ruler to keep the sides neat. This was going to be our personal timetable. We could colour in the boxes, representing each 45-minute period any way we liked, according to the subjects listed on the board, as long as each subject had a different colour, and we put a key at the bottom so we didn't forget what was what. That way, even if the pen rubbed off, we'd be sure what class we were going to next. I chose yellow for English because I liked English, and yellow was a nice colour. I did maths in black. (laughs) My timetable looked like a bee. (laughs) We got lovely free books in class, some of which bore the publication date of a previous century. Everything was acquisition. On the second day, there came commandments, the forbidden and the compulsory in tandem, for the greater good of all. All jewellery or any other forms of self-adornment were disallowed. No running inside school buildings. No rubbers, no pens, no other implements powered by indelible substances. No privately owned coloured pencils. No chewing hair, gum, sweets or fingernails. There would be no chewing in general, except in the dinner hall where the refusal of custard was not allowed because children were starving in Africa. No shouting, (laughs) fighting, high heels or miniskirts. No trousers for girls, no football colours for boys. The compulsories included good timekeeping, homework, sharpeners, rubber bands for cookery, plimsolls, regulation big blue knickers for PE, for in PE one removed one's skirt. Our squeals of shock were ignored. Girls our age had no call for vanity or prudishness, Miss Lyons said. The rules were the same for everyone. This wasn't true, because the seniors in fifth year got to wear shorts and little skirts playing hockey. But we weren't seniors, so what did we know? We were the bottom of the heap. We were to arrive on time for teachers, eat everything given in the dining hall, because waste was the residue of the ingrate, and to stick to the left-hand side of the stairs, and above all, wear the academy uniform with pride. For goodness sake, girls, it's not difficult, Miss Lyons sighed. Nobody is asking you to think for yourselves. <laughs> On the third day came the first proper lessons using the timetable and an instinctual sextant for navigation. And by the fifth day, routine was already ours. We dumped our bags at the foot of stairwells where anyone to whom they represented a barrier would kick them out of the way. We scuffed our new school shoes running to the bike sheds, the toilets, the wooden annexes wherein French was conducted because French was not very important, being a modern language. (laughs) We ran in all the places where running went unseen by the teachers, finding outlets for joie de vivre by stealth. (laughs) Inside the dining hall, we masticated four varieties of dark brown gristle, heavy stew, ice cream balls of potato, unless it was Friday, when ruscaline-dipped millimetre-thin fish with peas was served as a matter of Christian abstinence. And those of us who thought this pattern would be the same every week were thereafter proved not wrong. (laughs) Yellow globs of fat attached to every form of meat, which I spat out rather than swallow, covering my mouth in case I was caught, because spitting was a punishable offence. The mash tasted like Nivea. For those with coins to spare, an Italian ice cream van parked on the double yellows outside the school gates every day selling sweeties and ice poles to take the taste of lunch away. We avoided drinks, for all drinks led to the girls' toilets sooner or later, and a girls' toilet is no place for a girl with any sense of self-respect or smell. 
No food or drink of any kind, including medicines, throat lozenges, sweeties or water, were permitted in class. These were the rules. The rest were the expecteds. They arrived more greenily. It took ages for us to get to the actual subjects. The teachers were more interested. We knew how to spell their names properly and knew who was sitting next to us. One year of needlework was devoted to making an apron. (laughs) We did it the teacher's way and at the teacher's pace or not at all. (laughs) Cookery began with (laughs) cornflakes. The second week we got to put on the milk. This graduated to making scones, pancakes, rock cakes using blackboard recipes and brass weight scales. Not liking currants was no excuse. The (laughs) ingredients went in as listed. The nasal excitements of weighing out coloured powders into test tubes that was chemistry wore off quickly when the actual results of the experiments were sidelined in favour of what the textbooks said had happened. Plumb lines and pulleys and physics were dull from the start. The thrill of French, its written form crawling with sedillas and circumflexes, lasted longer, partly because Miss Brown, a woman with a beehive hairdo and smaller than a child, was nice to us in case we hit her. <laughs> Toto est dans le placard, we chanted in chorus, il mange le confiture. Miss Curry's job was to teach us to make that jam. She was the housewifery teacher. She also insisted we watch her demonstrate childcare by bathing a baby doll in an enamel basin with soap, the finale of which included pulling off the baby's head to empty out the water. (laughs) That had filtered in through its legs. The uses of borax and bicarbonate of soda as stain removers seemed tame thereafter. (laughs) Those of us who took Latin got to quit this after a single period and we clock-watched for most of it. Miss Curry let us know she had noticed. The scholars, Miss Curry sniffed as we fled, should remember that household skills will play a far more important part of your real future than some silly dead language. What kind of wives you expect to be, I don't know. But she did. And we knew it as well. Rubbish wives. That's what kind of wives we'd be. Foolish virgins who would find out too late that clumsy hospital corners and unstarched ironing led only to misery, ruin and broken homes. It wasn't news exactly, because my mother did a good line in exactly the same thing when she was in a bad mood. But we slunk off with our tails down and the creeping suspicion Miss Curry was right. It only lasted as long as the walk to room 202 because that was where Latin lived. More to the point, that was where the Latin teacher, the excitable Dr Nisbet, lived too. She taught Latin with such enthusiasm, her face bloomed like a sunflower, when she conjugated the simplest of verbs. As baking soda upon the grimy suggestion that Latin was useless, she gave us a way of seeing, because that is what a foreign language is. It's a whole new way. 
to see the world. And that's exactly what I wanted. Girls were forever adorning the temple with roses. Soldiers repeatedly and for no apparent reason admired the boys. <laughs> Omnia mutantur, nihil interet. Everything changes, nothing perishes. Every flip from Latin to lumpy English gave me a rush, not necessarily because of what the sentences said in themselves, of course not. It was because translation was a realizable thing at all. You could access dead people. You could access different people. Words and phrases that at first glance were alien or weird could be broken down into components and made to reveal meaning. Is that not astounding? Unsuspected, there under my nose all this time, language of all deceitful and slippery things, language was made of rules. And if the languages could be learned and forced to reveal their underlying order, maybe other things could be learned and tamed too. Maybe even people, like my sister, could be skeleton keyed into some kind of meaning. Latin wasn't dead. It wasn't anything like. It was a means to connection. Some people went to scripture union every lunchtime, trusting something called Christ to see them through. Others sacrificed their dinner break to netball as their chosen means of salvation. At 13, I found Latin declensions. They were my signposts on the road that led not only to Rome, but Damascus. If it was a choice that cooler girls who didn't have stammers laughed at, I didn't care. The body was weak, but ideas were armoured tanks. Whether she meant it or not, Dr. Nisbet, with every lesson, was buddhika in brogues. <laughs> then there was P.E., That was just amazing, um, as, as I knew and hoped it would be. So I wanted to, to begin by, by, by asking you about this idea of the anti-memoir. And, I mean, you touched on it at the beginning, but, you know, what is it or not? It's, it's, not, it's, it's a way of saying it's not a memoir, because there's a... Um, I, I did an event with Will Fiennes. You ever, you ever had Will along? No. Will's a smashing chap, and I, I did a great event with him and Rupert Thompson. We have had Rupert, and he's lovely. Rupert's lovely. And me, and I am, of course, um, in there somewhere. And it was, it was a very interesting event because Will was talking about his childhood. He was raised in a castle and played with real swords. Can you imagine? Imagine what that's like for a wee boy. He played with real swords and put real armour on and he could fight suits of armour. Rupert had been brought up in a middle-class household where his mum played tennis and he had access to sports. And it was a, they, they, they attempted a kind of veneer, which he tried to break through later. And I think I was another class entirely. I, th- I, was, I was there at the end of the line. Do you remember the, uh, the, the sketch on That Was the Week That Was, where John Cleese was being Will Fiennes, basically? And then there was Ronnie Barker being Rupert. Well, I was Ronnie Corbett. <laughs> 
and uh, felt every inch of it. And it was, it was interesting that Will started his event by saying, I think my mother is very embarrassed. I've written a memoir. It's the only book that says me, me, first in English, then in French. <laughs> and there is something that you wish to distance yourself from, which is in the public perception of what a book is. Again, these tend to be marketing terms. So this was just me doing a kind of smart-mouthed way of trying to avoid a marketing term and saying it's not books that are about people I find interesting, it's books about systems of thinking. I was fascinated to hear Charles talking about systems of thinking. It's how people think, how cultures think, how classes tend to make you think, how geographical places on the landscape tend to make you think, and how you bolt those words together. So it wasn't really about people, therefore it couldn't really be about me. It was about things. Well, uh, you, you say that, and yet... Um, <laughs> and yet, it very, it very clear, it clearly is about you, even if it's just in the kind of, in the sense of negating, trying to negate yourself. You're there watching and seeing, and everything that we see um, is through you. Um, and I'm interested, and even if you're just, you know, putting yourself there as a prism through which we see everything else, you're there. Yeah. But I'm interested in this, in the language that, that that you use, and it's just, I really feel like I'm there with you and your mum and Cora in this architect designed flat <laughs> council. <laughs> flat um and when when you speak in sentences and say things like um i can see it all over your smarmy face well you're pushing your luck lady you're heading for a fall and on it goes and it's and it's just a kind of speaking in in ready-made phrases yeah. you know it's like re- reaching to the shelf and taking off a ready meal Take a tape, yeah yeah, yeah exactly and it just seems and it goes all the way through and you've managed to you managed to capture that there was nothing to capture. My, my family did talk like that because the alternative was actually talking to each other. <laughs> and the, the best thing to do was avoid. The, 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 one of the characters in the book, I'm sure, because you're you reading... You say character. That, I mean, they're, they're Ooh, your they're relatives. Are. Well, they are characters. Of you, course they're characters. Yeah, but they're, but they're also... Cora's your sister and your mum's your mum. Cora's my sister and my mum's my mum, but, but, but I've written them down in a book. That perforce makes them pieces of paper. Yes, it not? That it me. I was working with a fantastic writer re- recently, an Irish writer called Claire Keegan. Mm-hmm. Those of you who like short stories, find them. Some of the best short stories you will ever read. And she said a, a fantastic thing at an event we did, which was life doesn't happen in paragraphs. Of course you can't write a life. Of course you can't. As soon as you start putting words to paper, as soon as you start dipping a, a brush in a pot of paint... You're creating. You're making something artistic. You're, it's a it's a it's a person made construct. Mm. What you're doing is 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 evolving and making something. So yeah, of course I think of them as characters to help. I changed some of their names, especially the ones I was very close to. My sister's real name was Nora. And I thought that was I, I thought that was a typo on Wikipedia. I thought no, she couldn't possibly have gone from Nora to Cora. <laughs> But she did. She was called after my auntie who ran away to America and became a saloon girl. <laughs> That's fantastic. And my, my sister was as close to a saloon girl as Ayrshire was ever going to get, I guess. And I needed that distance because even when I say Nora in a room full of very friendly, very open-minded, very warm people, and I'm very warm myself and sitting next to a gentleman such as Damien, I can feel her here saying, watch it. Watch it, lady. You know, I, I can hear the ticker tape. It's there. And they actually spoke like that because um, I guess there were so many things they were keeping secret. I, I don't know if this is the same south of the border. So many of you people look like I could have taught you at some stage in my life. You look considerably younger. Those of you who are more my age, perhaps you remember a time where to tell the truth in your family was regarded as bad manners. You just didn't do it. 
You didn't say people didn't suit clothes, let alone really important things like Uncle George's office fucking head, isn't it? <laughs> you just weren't supposed to notice, and therefore people talked ticker tape. That was what they did. And when they weren't doing that, they put the telly on. So let's, let's talk about the telly, because oh, the, the yeah. telly is the, is the other member of your family, really, um, and, you're, and, 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 and it serves to diffuse tension. Cora will, will, will turn the telly on, Nora, will turn the telly on um, as, as a way of um, almost not, not erupting, not being volcanic. She'll put it on, and, and you know that you're safe if the telly's on. You can just look at your homework, and yeah. you're not watching it necessarily. It's just there filling space, right? St- saving you having to talk. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's the counsellor in the room. You know, you know that way when you're having marital problems or relationship problems, you're advised to go to a counsellor because it'll make you both behave. It was that kind of thing. We put the TV on and people were watching us. So my sister behaved when the TV on. She didn't want Tom Jones knowing she was an aggressive cow. <laughs> so she behaved. It was the most astonishing thing. When the telly went off, you were really in trouble. <laughs> and Cora I mean, was, uh, for, for, those who, for those who don't know her as a character or as a sister, absolutely dreadful. I mean, she did, in fact, you know, set your hair on fire and throw various plates of stew at you um, and, and, and generally be terrifyingly unpredictable. That's the thing that I think is the scariest about her. You don't know whether she's going to stand here and say something loving and wonderful or whether she's going to be critical and terrifying or whether she's going to sort of set, set you up somehow. There's a sense in, a, in the books where you feel uncertain of Cora, you're wary of her. Yeah. Um, do you, even though she's died, because she's dead now, do you, you're still aware of that? You're still... Um, I'm, I'm not scared anymore. I'd be, I, I, I'd be getting therapy if I was still scared of a dead person. But it's not fear. It's memory. And memory is very vivid. I'm sure there are people out there who know what, I to- what I'm talking about when I say, you know, five o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep and suddenly you're the worst mother in the world. You're the worst wife in the world. You were the worst kid in the world. You never treated your mother. All that stuff that comes to get you in the early hours of the morning with my sister. My sister likes five o'clock in the morning. She's a five o'clock in the morning kind of person. And yet there's a moment where you and, and your mum are living in really reduced circumstances. She, your mum's a cleaner in a doctor's surgery. You're living in a room above that doctor's surgery. Your mum's a wee, but she still has to duck to get through the door. Uh, you know, and you're happy with that small contained world. Um, and then Cora, Cora arrives. You know, she kind of erupts back into your life. Do you, that, that, do you think, had that not happened, you'd be the, the same person? Well, the only answer to that is, how do I know? Um, I'm oh, pr- probably not, because you, you, you're made, when you're small, you're made to a certain extent by the people who surround you. Uh, I think you're made to a great extent by the people who surround you, as well as geographical location, the language you speak, the kind of observations you're prone to. The television has done some extraordinary things to Western society. It's done more horrible things to the Americans than it has to us. Not to Charles. No, not to Charles. But if you watch too much of it, it can really do things to the inside of your head. It can, it can alter how you think. I was in Berlin... But, I mean, but you just were watching things like the black and white minstrels and shit like that when you were yeah. growing up. Yeah, well, well that, that did things. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> of course that, that did things. There was a woman in our street who fostered children, and all the children she fostered were black. And I kept thinking, how come? And of course it was because, and it sounds horrible to say it in this day and age, but it was true, black babies were easier to come by. 
Nobody wanted to adopt them. And this lady fostered loads of that. Those were one of the norms. And watching black and white minstrels on the telly almost made that a truism. It almost made it one of these things that you sort of understood because real black people, were they were one of the unsayables. We kind of found these painted white men singing really bad songs somehow more acceptable. So sorry. So you were so you, you said about. So I'd asked you about um, about about Cora. Um, of course, you don't know because she she wasn't there. But there was a sense in which there was an idyll that was interrupted. But Cora mm-hmm. says to you later on in, in the second book about how she had only ever she only ever did the things that she did to make you toughen up. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. um, you know, she 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 wanted you to finally fight back, and you do finally fight back. To, oh, again, you Damien, know. you should have been there. It was. I feel, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was very girly. Uh, it was a bit. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Kind of like that. It was sad and pathetic. I'm not a fight. I'm quite scared to say this when I'm a Scot alone in London. But I can't fight for toffee. <laughs> I, I, I can't scream. Uh, quite interestingly, I was uh, I was abducted when I was small, just for a very very short period, and I found I couldn't. I remember saying to myself, "You should scream. You should scream nothing." Right, so she's just dropped that in there. The the uh, the uh, I was abducted for a short. The I was abducted. But let's for a move short on. Period. That no, doesn't no, no, matter. No, no, I was making no, a no, point. No, you, you know, I want to ask you about it because 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 it isn't. A, I mean, it's obviously it's it's a big deal. You know, it's like you know being put in the back of a van and taken off by some mental pagitation. Mental people, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, but 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 it's a very short part of the book, and you you decide that actually there's enough crap going on at home when you get home that you're just not going to mention the fact that a man got you in a close and he had his arm up against your neck. And he ran away, and it was because you were staring at him, or at least you think that it might have been because of the, the look that you gave him. Oh, I can really look at people, Damien. Oh, yeah. I've been a teacher. I can look at people. Um, <laughs> it is my one weapon, however, and there's absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing behind it. And I'm, I'm sure that, that, that comes from my sister. So that, well, in that sense, that's, that's like a gift that she gave you in a weird way. Um, oh, she gave me lots way. of gifts in a weird way. Well, she also taught you how to do your makeup, very nice things. I mean, she, she's kind of been a big sister at points and then oh, she, 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 No, but she, she didn't put it on for me. I, I, of, of, of the women in the audience and of the gentlemen who wear it, how many of you were taught by your big sister how to put makeup on by her putting it on you? Are there any? no. no. See, I had a fantasy that that was how big sisters did it, and it's clearly rot. That's really cheering. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually quite cheering, but I watched her. I was allowed to sit in the end of the bed and watched her, and my, my sister was making up in the, in the time of um, Drindle skirts, and um, every, every, all, all the women wanted to look like Sophia Loren. You know, those callous flicks at the side of the eyes, which became Amy Winehouse's, that kind mm. of flicking at the side. And therefore, it, it took her hours. She spent two hours doing her makeup. That was a lot of watching time. This took 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will take a couple of questions now. All right, okay. So the lady at the back in the black first. Go on. Go on. Louder. Go on. Do you miss your sister? Do I miss her? Yes, I miss her in complicated ways. She was bold, she was brash, she was, uh, she was a woman who made her own choices, and even as a child I could see that. There was something admirable about her. I just didn't want to be anywhere near it. So in, in a funny kind of way, I admired her a lot more when I had damn all to do with her, and it couldn't have come quick enough. I went to her funeral. Uh, in a way, this, this again sounds dreadful, but just to make sure she was dead. 
because she was the kind of... She played these mean jokes, you know? And she seemed the kind of person who couldn't die. She was a life force. We could have plugged the national grid into my sister and she would have fed extra power and money back into the household. You talk about where she, where she sits there in the living room being electrified so that if a, kind of, if a house fly flew near her, she would be zapped, be zapped yeah. by her. Absolutely, yeah. She's kind of this Blue atmospheric flash. power. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, so I, in, in, in a funny way, I miss her, but I would rather miss her than be with her. Thank you. Another question. Here, Katie. That's a good question. Are you, are you, are you more like you know, Dr. Nesbitt or Mrs. Lyons? Ms. Well, Lyons? I'm, I'm not like anybody now. No, because you're not, you're not teaching. I'm the best but. kind of teacher. I'm a retired teacher. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. It's what every teacher wants to be, is a retired teacher. Um, but when I was a teacher, yeah, I, 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 I used to take that. Where did you teach? Was it in the, was it in Ayrshire? Or in the it? Garnock Valley. Right. Where, you're, you're determined to get me to porridge up. No, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know totally, yes, yes. I taught in the Garnock Valley, which is a place full of small towns called Dorai. In Dorai, they think the moon landings were faked. <laughs> because if you take a bus as far as Stevenson, which is 10 miles away, everybody knows it falls off the end into the <laughs> sea. It was a very small place. And there were seven small places. And therefore, this school that I was sent to, I, I thought it would be a village school. It was massive because it, the kids from seven schools. And on Monday, the Dorai boys fought the Beath boys. And on Tuesday, the Colburnie boys fought the Dorai boys. And it was just a, it was a, quite an introduction to young people. Um, but, but I loved it. I really liked teaching. It was when they started making teaching not teaching. I didn't like it. Um, it was when they started making it filling out paperwork, making you a kind of amateur policeman and sleuth, making you somebody who wanted to test children as though we were all amateur psychologists. I thought, I want out. I want out now. Oh, applause from the teachers in the room there. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segmentally from that applause into yet more applause, please, for Janice Galley. No, 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 no. 